Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. My name's Stephen Jones, and I am the SALT director here at Candeo. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that and start turning to John 10. That is where we will be at this morning. So we spent the weekend with my in-laws, which is a really fun thing right now because they got a new puppy over winter break. And so it's been hilarious watching our two kids, Jack and Isla, interact with little Charlie May. And Isla freaks out every time Charlie licks her. She thinks her life is ending, which it's just hilarious telling her like, babe, she just licked you. It's going to be okay. But Jack, on the other hand, is like already torturing that dog, you know, just grabbing fur, all of that. So it, it's super fun uh, being at the in-laws house with little Charlie. But the thing about dogs, so I am not a dog owner. I've never been a dog owner. And I will say emphatically, I will never be a dog owner because I've observed a couple dynamics with dog owners. One, the extent to which a dog owner is willing to care for a dog is unfathomable to me. The things that I have seen or heard dog owners say they have done for their dogs, I am hardly willing to do for my own kids. Elias Nissen on Salt Staff, I cannot tell you on this stage in good conscience what he has done because it's inappropriate to little George to care for him. I'm like, Elias, that is an animal. You don't do that to an animal. I don't care how much you love him. It's an animal, unfathomable. The few times I've been asked to take care, for, take care of a dog, just, you know, like help out on a vacation or whatever, my extent of my care ends pretty much at like fill the dog bowl with food, water, maybe take the dog on a walk. But the second I got to put a bag over my hand, uh-uh, that is staying there. Never have done that, never will do that. I will be on my deathbed. Very proud of the fact that I've never done that. I will not do that. The extent of my care ends very quickly and is significantly less than the extent of care that a dog owner is willing to do for their dog. Second dynamic that I think is actually fun is the number of dogs that resemble their owners. So Thanksgiving Day dog show, you watch, you try to like figure out who most looks like their own dog. It's hilarious. It's a great, it's a great way to spend Thanksgiving after turkey looking at the dog show. Uh, I actually looked up a research study done by University of California, San Diego. Two guys did a study to determine scientifically whether or not people resemble their dogs. They found they do. So they took 28 pictures of dogs and their owners, spread them out on a table, and had participants come in and try to correctly match, just based off looks, which dog belonged to which owners. And more often than not, they correctly did it. They found that dogs resemble their owners. It's hilarious. I'll never be a dog owner, but that would be the fun part. The not fun part would be taking care of them in unhuman ways. Here's my question for you this morning as we work through John 10. If we got a picture of your life, who would we conclude owns you? If we had a picture of your life, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you live, if we had that picture, who would we say owns you? Because in the same way that a dog resembles who owns them, we resemble who owns us. And in John 10, we're going to see that there is a good shepherd that to the, because of his relationship with us, the extent of his care was to lay down his life for the sheep. And when we embrace his leadership and ownership over our lives, we begin to re reflect and resemble the one who owns us. So John 10, 11 through 21, who owns you? Who would we say owns you based on what we would see in your life? We're gonna work through this passage in four parts. First, who is Jesus? Second, what is his goal? 
Third, how did he accomplish his goal? And fourth, what is our response to his leadership? So here's John 10, starting in verse 11, starting with who is Jesus? It says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Question one, who is Jesus? We see another I am statement. All throughout the gospel of John, Jesus has been using these I am statements to give us a full picture, a full understanding of who Jesus is. And so he says here, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. He leads and cares for the sheep. He nurtures the flock. He's close. He spends time with them. There's an intimacy in his relationship with the sheep, but he's not just any shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And how does he define what makes him a good shepherd? He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep. A shepherd's whole existence revolved around sacrificing their life for the sake of the sheep, sleeping with them, walking with them, nurturing them, caring for them. Everything in their life revolved around care for the flock. Sheep are pretty helpless animals. They need a lot of help, and the shepherd would come alongside them, provide protection, and would sacrifice their life for the sheep. And Jesus says, if you're going to understand who I am accurately, you have to understand that I am the good shepherd. To further highlight this, he uses this contrast right away with comparing himself to the hired hand. So he says, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, unlike the hired hand, verse 12. He says, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's the hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So we get these contrasting images. You got the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and you you got the hired hand who doesn't care for the sheep. And what is the main reason Jesus says the hired hand doesn't care for the sheep? It's the fact, verse 12, that the hired hand doesn't own the sheep. I don't own Charlie May. I will fill her bowl with food, but the second Gary says that she needs to go out, I am done. I don't own George. Elias owns George. The extent of my care stops because I don't own him. Elias owns George and loves him. So the extent of his care goes to unfathomable things that a human shouldn't do for a dog. That's the key difference. The hired hand, he doesn't have the leadership role of shepherd and he doesn't own the sheep. So what happens as a result? When this hired hand who's just in it for the money sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He abandons his post and leaves. And what happens to the flock? They are snatched and scattered. Unlike the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Good shepherd leadership then is marked by a deep care for the sheep that Jesus owns. They are his sheep. They are his possession. So now, why do we need a shepherd, right? We could be wondering like, okay, you got a hired hand, you got a shepherd. Why do we need a shepherd? What does the passage say? Look back, verse 12. What what does it say the reason we need a shepherd? 
It says there's a wolf coming, a wolf that snatches and scatters. Why do we need a shepherd? Because we are sheep and there is a threat to our security. There is something that is threatening your security. Each of us has a deep core need to be secure and to be safe. Most of the time we look for that security in either health, money, or relationships. That is essentially the way that all of us as humans find security and safety in this life. Either my health, my money, or my relationships. Now, to an extent, that is okay. God designed our world that, yeah, we should manage our money wisely. We should have security in our relationships. We should have health. That's good. But the problem becomes when we look for ultimate security and safety in those three things. And it takes a year like the year that we just had to remind us that those are weak foundations for security and safety. This year has revealed to us yet again that the places that we look for safety and security as sheep are often weak and uncertain and that we need a deeper source of security and safety as we face a threat to our life. And what is that? We need an eternal security. But here's the problem. The same way that we here on earth tend to look towards health, money, and relationships as a place of security, and those are weak. We could think of those in spiritual terms and think about spiritual health, spiritual kind of, let's call it spiritual wealth or spiritual relationships. And the reality is in each of those three areas, we also have a weak and broken problem there. Before God, we are spiritually sick. Before God, we are spiritually in debt. And before God, we are spiritually and relationally broken with him and are counted as enemies of the cross. Why? Because of the sin that separates us from God. And because of that sin, there is now an eternal threat that faces us. And we need a good shepherd who wouldn't run away from that threat, but would move towards that threat and deal with that eternal threat that faced us. And how did Jesus, the good shepherd, do that? He bore our sickness on the cross. He paid our debt on the cross. And he restored our relationship, reconciling us to God. Jesus is the good shepherd who, when facing the threat, didn't run from the wolf, but instead moved towards it. And he embraced the threat to the extent of sacrificing his life so that we could have spiritual health, a spiritual, our debt paid, and our relationship restored to God. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. Unlike the hired hand who saw their leadership for their sake, but at the expense of the flock, Jesus saw his leadership for our sake at his own expense. That is the good shepherd that we have. Why do we need a shepherd? Because we are helpless sheep facing the threat of an eternal destiny separated from God. But Jesus, the good shepherd, didn't come down from heaven to beat us into shape, but instead he took the beating of God's wrath so that we could belong to his flock. That is the good shepherd that we have. Now pause for a minute. This isn't the main point of the sermon, but is certainly an implication of thinking about good shepherd leadership versus hired hand leadership. And just for a moment, I want to draw out two approaches to leadership that you have here. We as sheep under God's care, God has entrusted to each of us influence and leadership. And I just want to ask, 
which approach to leadership are you walking in? Hired hand leadership or good shepherd leadership? You could define hired hand leadership like this. Hired hand leadership is for my sake at their expense. Good shepherd leadership, on the other hand, is for their sake at my expense. So think about the the different spheres of leadership and influence God has entrusted to you in your life. Which approach are you walking in? Dads, was this weekend a hired hand or a good shepherd weekend? At work, hired hand or good shepherd work week? We have 13 pastors at this church and there's probably about four of us. I see Zach and Cody, myself, Jordan. There's probably four of us in this room. Are we leading this church in good shepherd leadership or in hired hand leadership? Whatever influence God has given you, are you using it for your sake at their expense or are you leveraging your leadership for their sake at your own expense? All right, so that is who we have as a leader in Jesus. We have a good shepherd who leverages his leadership for our sake at his own expense in contrast to the hired hand who uses their leadership for their own sake at the expense of the sheep. Now, what is Jesus's goal? Why? Why does he want to shepherd us? Why does he want this flock? What is his goal in all of it? We get that answer in the second part of this passage, verse 14. It says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. What is Jesus's goal? What's Jesus's mission in being the good shepherd? Well, he says it very clearly there at the end of verse 16. What does he say? One flock, one shepherd. What's Jesus's goal as the shepherd? One flock, one shepherd. He wants to possess a flock for his own. He wants to own a flock. And this has been God's stated goal since the beginning. When the Israelites were coming out of Egypt in Exodus 19, 5 at Mount Sinai, God says, if you hear my voice and obey my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. God has always desired to have a treasured possession of people who are his own that reflect his glory, that resemble his likeness. And this is Jesus's goal. This is Jesus's mission. One flock, one shepherd that would resemble and reflect who he is, that they would reflect who owns them. Well, what does it look like then to be owned by Jesus? Go back to that original question. If we had a picture of your life, what would we even be looking for to know? What criteria would we be using to know whether or not Jesus owns you? What would we be looking for? Well, he gives two, two distinguishing marks of someone who is owned by Jesus, who is embracing Jesus's leadership in their life. The first is vertical intimacy and the second is horizontal unity. So first, vertical intimacy. Look back at verse 14. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and here it is. I know my own, and my own know me. 
He says there is a relationship there between shepherd and sheep, an intimate relationship. Think again of the picture of a shepherd. You're out in the, in the pasture. You, you spend your whole life with the shepherd. There's just day in, day out, every second. You're up in his lap. You know his voice. You know his smell. And he smells like you. And it probably doesn't smell good. But there's just this closeness between shepherd and sheep where they know one another. And it's not just this, this closeness, but Jesus defines the level of intimacy and depth that should be happening in this relationship in verse 15. He says, I, right before that, he says, I know my own and my own know me. And then what is the depth of this relationship? Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. How intimate should our relationship with Jesus be? It should be the same quality, just as the Father and the Son know one another, the sheep and the shepherd know one another. That is the depth of relationship we are to have with Christ, an intimate knowledge of one another. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father and the Son know each other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally existing with one another forever. That is the depth of relationship Jesus desires with us. If we got a picture of your life this week, would we conclude that, that you have that level of relationship with the shepherd? Would we conclude that you are owned by the shepherd based on your vertical intimacy with the shepherd? Are you creating space in your week for that depth of relationship? More often than not, the busyness and the distractions and the lack of focus on my part leads to hurried devotions, hurried prayers, and no depth. I want this kind of relationship with the shepherd. This is the kind of relationship Jesus desires with us. And for those who are owned by Jesus, this is the kind of relationship that should mark our lives. This should be a distinguishing mark knowing the shepherd and the shepherd knowing us to the extent that the father and the son knew one another. Vertical intimacy. But not only vertical intimacy, but second, horizontal unity. So he says in verse 16, he says this, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. So the audience that are hearing Jesus's dialogue here would be a Jewish audience. And when he mentions that I have other sheep from another, other pens, he is referencing the fact that he desires that Jews and Gentiles would come together. So Gentiles are basically anyone who's not a Jew. So God specifically chose the Israelite family, the Jewish community to be the avenue by which he brought the Messiah into the world. But he has always throughout all the Bible stated that he desires all nations and all people have access and relationship to himself. And Jesus here is bringing that up again, that he desires that Jews and Gentiles come together and make one flock. And we'll continue to see this through our New Testament, this desire that there be unity between the Jews and the Greeks or Jews and the Gentiles, one flock, and that this would be a supernatural unity existing within the church. So then the question again is, is there a supernatural unity that exists in this room? In this room, do we experience a supernatural unity? a unity that can only be explained by our mutual identification with Christ. 
That is a distinguishing mark of those who are owned by Jesus, the good shepherd. Unity horizontally. I think it's great that often we talk about being unified with other churches in the areas and other churches in our world. And we should pursue that. But if we ever have a chance at that, then we first have to be unified in this room. Are we experiencing a supernatural unity in here or are the level of relationships that we have with one another easily explained by common interest and common hobbies and being like-minded? Or would people see a picture of people unified in this room that can only be explained by our relationship with Jesus? And if it's not, then what are you doing about it? Have you taken any intentional step to deepen the relationships that you have in this room? To heal and bring unity across the tension that might exist? You know what gets really old as a parent? Your kid walking around the house all day saying, man, this place is a mess. Man, this is broken. Man, somebody really needs to clean this up. At some point as a parent, you look at that kid and you say, you're a part of this family too. You clean it. If you're a Christian and you are a part of the Candeo family, then you have a responsibility just like all of us to fight and pursue for unity. And just last month, Jordan's sitting back there. I was pointing out a problem that I was seeing within our church. And I was, you know, just venting that to Jordan. And I left that conversation and was immediately convicted by the spirit that all I was doing was having a critical spirit. And I was doing nothing to offer a solution that we could both work towards to fix this problem that we are identifying. Look, we should have critical thinking in this room, but we should kill a critical spirit. And each one of us who calls Candeo our church family should be fighting for unity. We should never be satisfied with superficial relationships with the people in this room. Two distinguishing marks, vertical intimacy, horizontal unity. We have a good shepherd and because he owns us, he is willing to lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. And in response to that, we are to embrace his ownership over our life and begin to reflect and resemble who our leader is. A leader marked by humility, love, and care. You might be thinking, man, okay, this is getting a little overwhelming. Thinking about good shepherd leadership versus hired hand leadership. Thinking about vertical intimacy and horizontal unity. These are things that maybe are starting to overwhelm me. It feels like a lot. feels like I have a million miles to go before I'd be that sort of person or that we would be that sort of church. What sustains us on that path? What sustains us as we seek to follow Jesus? The answer is how he accomplished his goal. The answer is the truth that we have to hang on to, which is found in verse 17. What sustains us as we're trying to follow Jesus in these areas, verse 17. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I received this command from the Father. 
What sustains us as we seek to follow the good shepherd? It's the reality that the good shepherd leveraged his leadership for our sake at his expense, the expense of his life, that he bore our sickness, that he paid our debt, that he reconciled us to God by his blood, that Jesus willingly submitted his life to death. Look at verse 18. It says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Jesus, looking at sheep who were lost and were led astray by various passions, looked from heaven down and said, I will come and provide a solution. I will be a shepherd to sheep who are lost. We quote Luke 10 to all the time in our church. Matthew 9, 36 through 38 is the, the, compare, the, the verse in Matthew's version of the 1002 prayer. And it says that Jesus was broken with compassion for sheep that had no shepherd. Jesus looked at sheep with no shepherd and he said, I will provide a solution. I will come, I will lay down my life so that these people could have a shepherd. He willingly submitted it to death. He laid it down on his own and he rose again victoriously from death, defeating the one thing that ultimately threatens our life, sin and its consequence. Jesus defeated that in the resurrection so that we could have a good shepherd to follow. And as we hang on to that, that will sustain us as we seek to be a people marked by unity as we seek to be a people marked by vertical intimacy, as we seek to leverage the influence God has given us for the sake of others, even when it's at our own expense. That is what continues to motivate us as we seek to follow Jesus and embrace his leadership. If that is the good shepherd we have, one who submitted his life to death, then we can trust him in his leadership. And that's the final question. The final part of this passage is how will you respond to the good shepherd? Verse 19, you see the audience's response. They say, again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who's demon possessed. Can a demon really open the eyes of the blind? You get two responses here. One of rejection, one of embrace. One that says he's a crazy demon-possessed man. One that says he can't be demon-possessed. How can the demons open the eyes of the blind? And the question for you today is, will you embrace the leadership of the good shepherd in your life? If he's the good shepherd who would lay his life down for the sake of the sheep, will you embrace his ownership over your life? And as he owns you, will you begin to allow his ownership to to change you and to transform you so that you would reflect the one who owns you? How will you respond to the good shepherd? Will you embrace his leadership? One of the things that my dad has said uh, is if every day we started our morning off this way, it would change our life in the world. If we open our hands and we said, God owns me. If we said those three words every morning, it would completely change our lives. God owns me. By the blood of Jesus, he purchased me and now he owns me. And if he is the good shepherd who would lay down his life, I can trust him in his leading and trust him as he guides me throughout this life. Jesus is the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sake of the sheep Will you embrace his leadership and ownership over your life and begin to reflect the one who owns you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the reality that though we were sheep, 
that had gone astray, that you laid the iniquity of us all upon him. God, that though we fall short of your glory and are in debt to you, Jesus paid the penalty of our sin on the cross so that all that is left for us is to come and drink from the fountains of life. You who have no currency, come and buy. God, that though we were once enemies of the cross, Christ came and was severed from you so that we could be reconciled in relationship with you, having a righteousness that's not our own, but a righteousness that's found in Christ. God, I pray that as we contemplate that reality of who Christ is on our behalf, that it would move us to a place to embrace your leadership in our life. That we would begin to more and more reflect the one who owns us. Reflect the humility of the good shepherd. Reflect the love that the good shepherd has for others. God, that we would express that in the way that we engage with you through prayer and devotion and intimacy. That we would express that in the way that we engage with one another as fellow sheep in one pen under one shepherd. And God, that we would trust you in your leading as the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And that if we have a good shepherd who would do that, then we can trust you as you call us and lead us in this life. Amen.